Gabriel Stelian Shanks. I'm the Artistic Director of the Drama League, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to In Conversation. This is the Drama League's ongoing intimate series of discussions with the directors who are shaping the film, television, and theater that many join around the world every single day. We are the only full-time, year-round, creative home for theater directors. Um, if you're new to us, welcome. We're glad to join you in the virtual space. We are shooting this in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, and we are looking at our work in a totally different way. I'm thrilled to say that all of the artists who are appearing in this series during this time are donating their time, enthusiasm, and resources to raise funds for directors. If you'd like to make a donation to help directors, you can do so at dramaleague.org. You can click our ghost like campaign or our donation button. Um, if you are a director who is suffering during this time, we have a wealth of COVID-19 resources on our site, as well as a director's emergency relief fund. And we would love to have you participate in that with us. Today, I'm ex super excited to talk with Erica Schmidt, who I think is one of the most exciting and interesting directors working in the field today. Um, she's had an extraordinary career. She's done everything, uh, uh, acting, designing. She is a playwright and an adapter and an amazing director. Uh, I feel like I got a great double whammy of Erica's work before the pandemic landed. Uh, I got to see her extraordinary adaptation of Cyrano at the New Group. Um, and then literally one of the last shows I saw before the theaters closed in New York was Macbeth, which is two words. Uh, it's her adaptation of Shakespeare's work set in a private girls' school with a little murder mystery mixed into it. It, it was exuberant. I, I don't know that I ever thought I would say the word exuberant when referring to Macbeth, but it really was a production that made me rethink a play I thought I knew. I'm so glad to see you today. Welcome. How are you doing in this time? Are you safe? Are you able to do the work you are doing? Um, yes, we're safe. Uh, everybody's healthy. Um, we're, every, everything's fine. Um, yeah, uh, work is uh, a little challenging right now, um, <laughs> but, but we're healthy. Grateful to be so. Well, you know, thank you so much for spending this time. You are a name that comes up with a lot of the early career directors that we work with at the Drama League uh, as an inspiration. And they talk about um, your path. Uh, you, I believe, started as an actor. You have been a costume designer. You write your own work often, or you direct that work. Um, you adapt other people's work. I'm curious how you got to directing uh, in your career. Could you sort of track us a little bit? Sure, yeah. Um, I, I, I went to Vassar College and I um, graduated with a bunch of, I actually majored in costume design and um, I really, really, really wanted to be an actor. And I went to New York um, to try to be an actor <laughs> and I did an internship at the Juilliard School in costume design for the first year I was in New York. And I did a lot of wardrobe um, to, to make money, you know, to pay rent uh, in the evening. So I'd be at Juilliard in the day and um, uh, like I did How I Learned to Drive and um, As Bees and Honey Drown, I, I subbed in. So I was able to watch, um, actually did Othello with that um, Doug Hughes directed with Leah Schreiber. Um, I was able to watch directors working at a much higher level than I was able to get into the room as an actor, um, if that makes sense. 
And um, after about a year, I looked around and all my friends were like I was unemployed actors. And I thought, well, maybe if I make a show, then next time someone else can direct it and I'll get to be in it. And so I did um, Romeo and Juliet in a parking lot <laughs> um, with a lot of people I went to college with. And um, I was able to get free rehearsal space because I'd sewed at a bunch at NYU and um, Juilliard and they, they were kind enough to give me space. And I was able to get the performance space because it was like an empty lot that was next to the present company. Um, and I'd done a show there as an actor. So I was just kind of like by the skin of my teeth able to um, put together a equity showcase production of Romeo and Juliet. And um, we made enough money that I was able to, you know, I think you charge $15 for tickets. I was able to pay the actors unlimited Metro cards, which is, I feel like I'm really dating myself. I think they were like $60 or something at that time for an unlimited Metro card. Um, and then uh, I it was really, um, we, we got a review in the New York Times that was kind of like, it's a bunch of kids having fun, you should go see it. And because of that, we were able to sell tickets. Um, so then I spent another year um, sewing and trying to act and doing costumes and um, working in coffee shops. And uh, then I did As You Like It, which was my same group of friends. Um, and I cut it to six actors and we did it again in a parking lot. And then that show moved to uh, Chishama's 42nd Street space, which was a storefront. And then from there, after, you know, like actually begging people on the street to come in and watch us do the play, like no, no one wanted to see it. Um, the same Times reviewer came back and he kind of retroactively said, this is a director who's doing something interesting. And referring back to the Romeo and Juliet. And so then suddenly we were sold out and all these people came and the public theater put us in the New Works Festival. Um, and the Araka group optioned us and did a bunch of evenings for theater people. And from that show, I started working. And that, that was the only, if it hadn't been that kind of confluence of events, I don't, that was like really long winded. I don't know if you wanted to know all that, but that's how, um, that, that like then I became union and then I started working. I mean, it, it's fascinating to me because I think with a lot of people who come to directing from other paths, those paths affect the actual directing that they do. Do you find that your work as a designer oh. impacts the way you direct? Oh, absolutely. Um, I definitely find my way in through the visual world. I mean, I design clothes for the As You Like It and the Romeo and Juliet. And, um, you know, the kind of I'm working on a, a cutting of uh, an adaptation of Hamlet now and it's definitely the visual world is absolutely my way in and then um like the dream of collaborating with actors and imagining how I would hear certain people say things um for me it's always been about story I just love story and I was always so happy watching plays um uh and so grateful to be in the audience and I think that that sort of quality of watching or desire to watch love to love of watching is the is sort of why i direct um anyone who has seen a lot of your work walks away with a sense that uh the story has been well cared for i mean i i uh i don't 
I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I am I am married to a uh, Romanian actor uh, and writer, and uh, we spend a lot of time talking about how uh, America doesn't do the Russian masters very well, at least in comparison to the work that he is used to where he's from. And um, we were both struck so much by your production of A Month in the Country at Classic Stage. I actually think it's the best Turgenev I've ever seen. Um, and it, it felt so lived in and cared for um, in the work. And when I saw Macbeth and when I, you know, when I think about, you know, I, I, even Debbie Does Dallas, for, you know, which was one of the first works I saw by you, these, your uh, adapting work care so greatly for story. How do you approach adapting? Uh, you say you're working on Hamlet now. What, what becomes important to you in that process? Well, honestly, usually it starts with a series of limitations. Um, like for example, the Macbeth, Juilliard asked me to do a four person Shakespeare and I could choose the play and I knew I had four women. And so I cut, I, I knew I wanted to, um, focus on the, the witches and young women as witches, but I had to cut to the play for four actors. So that sort of was like a very strict guideline by which I made the adaptation and the cuts. Um, and then, you know, the same was true for As You Like It. Um, Debbie Does Dallas was <laughs> like a totally different kind of challenge. That was really trying to like um, actually make the story more Russian um, to try to, you know, have... <laughs> have it have story um but it's really about um who, who's who's it for why right now um and then what's the focus of the thing that I'm trying to do or say I guess um I mean every time I've restaged the Macbeth we've like retooled it a little bit um and and you know, in a lot of ways for the women who are doing it. In the process of adapting, are you also always aware that you're going to be the director? Are you always the director of your adaptations? Are those two things linked? How do you navigate between the two? I've never done an adaptation for someone else to direct. Um, I think that would be challenging. Um, I, I guess because I'm trying to get better, for example, in the Hamlet, I'm trying to get better at writing what I imagine into the script. Because at one point I gave someone my Macbeth after I had done a Juilliard and I desperately wanted to do it again and I wanted to do it in New York. And I gave them my adaptation and they were like, it's just a cut of the play. <laughs> I don't get it. Um, which was totally fair because I hadn't written anywhere in it, you know, what was happening. <laughs> um, and, uh, so I'm trying to get better at that um, so that maybe one day someone else would direct an adaptation of um, something I did. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think, you know, one thing we work a lot with our directors on is that moment of engagement with a script for the first time, that first read um, is so important for mm. a director. Um, but as someone who has done the adapting or the writing, you know, with all the fine boys, you don't have a first read experience. How, how do you pivot to being a director in that case, you know, it, or is there a switching uh, of, or those things linked together for you? Well, I did, I, I learned a lot. I did um, the vineyard 
theater developed uh, Fine Boys for, for a while, like over about three or four years, we did a bunch of workshops. And we did do one staged workshop where they had their subscribers come in. So it was completely full houses, but only for three or four shows. And the very first time the audience came in and sat down and I watched, I realized that I had completely forgotten to direct the play. It was horrifying. I had, the transitions were like six minutes long, really, really slow. I mean, it was really embarrassing. I realized that I had been so attentive because it was my very first time having written it um, that I was only worried about that. And so then that I went into director mode and in the rehearsal time I had for the next day, we cut 25 minutes off. So it's like, oh, right, no, direct it. And so then, and that was a, that was a great learning experience. Um, but I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm not precious at all. So I have, abs I have, and I'm good at taking notes. If there's people who can give me smart notes in the room, I'm, I'm, I can um, figure out what needs to go. I don't feel, I, I'm not in love with, um, my work, I guess. I don't know how to say it better, but, um, yeah. <laughs> well, it, I think you can't be precious about it in some way. I mean, I, I feel like yeah. you are always pushing story in whatever role you're doing. Um, and so I bet you can be really hard on your own playwright, which is you <laughs> in some ways. I wonder about, is there a preparatory process when you when you've moved from the adapting or writing into production, how, how do you prepare? Well, I mean, I, just like any director, I imagine, I mean, you know, you go through the pre-production process. I really value the input of designers and um, have gotten a lot of, you know, major, like I remember um, when I did Humor Abuse, which was a play that I, uh, created with Lorenzo Pizzoni, who was the performer, and it was the story of his life. Um, as he says, it was, it's his story in my words. Like he would talk and I would write down um, what he was saying and we tried to cobble together a narrative. And I remember Ben Stanton, who was the lighting designer, came and saw a run and he said, you gotta take out all the tricks and tell the story. And it was, revelatory we're like oh right he's doing all of these tricks and we've built the story around the tricks so we took everything out that he was doing which if you didn't see the show is backflips and juggling and tap dancing dressed as a gorilla and falling off ladders and i mean there's a lot of tricks and so we took them all out and then just did the story and it was so helpful um yeah so you know just relying on collaboration really and trying to really listen to um, the audience in previews, I find uh, invaluable and really hard, like really. <laughs> um, although now in the current situation, I miss it. I realize I, I think that I don't like audience, but I really do love audience and I miss, I miss it. Yeah, I think we all do. It's interesting that you bring up Lorenzo. You two worked together a long time uh, over multiple projects, I think. Yes, we, we, starting with the Romeo and Juliet, we, we, we've went to college together. So we did Romeo and Juliet, and then in As You Like It, he played Orlando and Oliver. Um, and we created humor reviews together. And then um, he's started working uh, often as a really niche movement fight um, guy on Broadway. And he did the, the movement um, and the fights in Macbeth. Um, 
do you have something that's really important to you in finding those collaborators you want to work with over and over? Are there, are there certain traits you love in collaborators that they bring to you? I mean, I, I, there are a lot of designers that I work with a lot and um, would love to keep working with over and over again. And every, each of them obviously is like a very different kind of thing they bring or they push in a different direction. Um, you know, and Lorenzo, I love collaborating with. Um, it's sort of like a, a physical way of thinking that I think we share and um, he, uh, he can think, he can figure out how to, you know, get someone backwards off a couch, uh, in an interesting way. And I love those kinds of, um, challenges. And so it's just, it's really fun to, uh, work with him. But I think that that's been like, you know, 22 years of, uh, sharing, sharing a room, you know, uh, but I'm always looking for, you know, new collaborators to work with and, um, I think, yeah, it's, I mean, that's the whole thing, right? To get in a room with a bunch of smart people and tell the story in, um, using all of those voices. Yeah. It makes me also think about, um, how you get inspired to make work. Are there, and I'm asking all of the directors in this series, this, are there productions or, uh, things you saw either recently or in the past that really inspire you and sort of have stayed in your memory, those, those iconic productions for you? Oh, sure. Yeah. And re recently I, I was totally blown away by um, Daniel Fish's Oklahoma. I, I, I was really floored. I thought it was so incredible. Um, and I, my, I, I loved Sam Gold's uh, Glass Menagerie. I, I thought I couldn't, from the first moment, I, I couldn't stop sobbing. It was, I just found it so profoundly, deeply moving. And um, I'm working on, hopefully, hopefully I'll get to do uh, Orpheus Descending in the fall. And I've been reading John Lahr's, um biography of Williams. And I, I just, I've, I think that that glass menagerie that Sam Gold did was so dead on. I'm, I can't believe... Um, you know, that it wasn't rejoiced. <laughs> I tell everyone, um, they should have seen it. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, there, there, I saw, um, Jack O'Brien's, uh, King Lear when I was in high school at the old globe theater. And that just was one of those, like, I, I think about it all the time, even still. Um, there was a, group, a production of Platonov that I saw in London that was spectacular. They had a train that actually like came at the audience. Of course, it was just lights, but I couldn't figure out how they did it. It was so beautiful. Um, yeah. I, I mean, there have been a million. Yeah. Um, I just... Uh, Pride's Crossing with Mary Yeah. I just have to tell you, we, um, the Drama League artistic team, we have a secret crush on Orpheus Descending as a play. Um, and we talk about uh, how under-recognized um, it is. We're so excited that you're doing it. I, I really hope we get past oh, it and your production happens. Me too. I'm so, and it's been, honestly, we were in pre-production with the set, with Laura Jelnick doing the set, and I'm so excited about it. And um, Maggie Siff and Christopher Abbott are doing it, and I just, I, I pray that we still get to do it because, you know, of course, 
Theater for New Audience, they've got the whole set for Gnit sitting there. They had to close after four previews. And Godot, which they didn't even get to do yet. So it's impossible to know what's going to happen with each theater company, like how they're going to come out of this. It's so scary. I, I, I think we're going to come out of it. I think it's going to be, you know, fine. I, my hope is that we're really going to use this as a moment to dream of what's possible um, and mm -hmm. sort of see it as an inflection point to move forward. Um, it, one way that I think we're passing the time, the, the artist in my circle, is we're talking about our bucket list, what we, what we are, hope we get to direct someday. Do you have bucket list plays? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I, the thing is that two of them were that I, I was actually about to, I was going to do a workshop of Hamlet at Seattle Rep where Macbeth started um, and then Orpheus. They're both on my bucket list. Um, I really want to do, I want to do a Chekhov, all of Chekhov. Um, I want to do All's Well That Ends Well. I really want to do Odette's. Um, I want to do The Big Knife. I want to do Paradise Lost, which actually it's a perfect time for Paradise Lost, I think. Um, Flowering Peach. Uh, I think it's also a great time for Endgame, but it's a little bleak. Uh, <laughs> um, Winter's Tale, Anthony Cleopatra. Um, Paint Your Wagon. I really want to do Paint Your Wagon, although I think maybe Daniel Fish should probably do it. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Desire Under the Elm, Everything Williams wrote. Um, yeah, we, uh, I, I've already revealed that the Drama League likes the lesser Williams plays, but I, I had my heart leap just now when you mentioned Odette's. I would really love to see some big Odette's done. So hopefully someone watching this will go, yes, Erica is the right person to yeah. do Odette. Let's do it. I uh, would love that. It'd be great. Um, so I'd like to end with one final question that I just, um, I think all of us who work in the field um, learn things over time that we wish we had known earlier. If there's anything about your career that you wish you could go back and tell very young Erica, <laughs> um, what would that advice be? That's, that's an interesting question because I feel like in some ways, in a lot of ways, I feel like I've grown. Um, M more afraid, I guess. In a, uh, I, I feel like I had so much energy and so much confidence and self-assurance and certainty and um, desire and drive and ambition um, in my early 20s. Um, and, and also the ability to work, like to, to work without stopping. And now I feel that much more um, cautious so I think in a way, when, when, you're, when you're young, um, I mean, there's so much that you learn, obviously, but it doesn't necessarily help with what you need to get stuff done. <laughs> I don't know. I'm even just reading the law biography of Williams. It's like he, he I mean, if, if you believe the telling, it's, it's he became um, sad in a way. And the, 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 the weight of the industry, the critics, the, um, you know, all of that kind of, it can accumulate on you. And I think there's something, I, if I, if I had to go back, I was just, I would be, um, I would try to get some of that, um, that joy and that, uh, drive from my 20 year old self. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, I'd, I'd love to have some of my also, three-year-old stuff too. Right? <laughs> um, I, I also, I spent a, a like big chunk of time, like 10 years um, doing new plays and I, and I don't think I was doing them. I was going to say I wasn't doing them well, but I, I, I just, I, that, I think that I, it took me a long time to come back around to adapting Shakespeare, which is what I really love. And I, um, I, I wish I'd, uh, stuck with that a little longer yeah, through the well, middle I, years. I, I, you know, you've done so many things. I feel sort of unfair saying that I think of you as like one of the master, master interpreters of classics in our time. Um, and I didn't want to say that earlier. Wow. I, I don't want you to, I don't want to limit the range of what's possible. But I, you know, when I think of your work, I, I get so inspired by what you're able to do with classic texts and, and um, the innovation and the imagination that you bring to those works, I think is, is an object lesson for all of us that these texts have infinities inside of them. Um, and you're showing us what's possible. Um, you know, in Macbeth, I, I've probably seen Macbeth 30 times in my life um, and showed up for yours thinking I knew it. And then all of a sudden you show me things that I didn't know were in that play. And that's, that's both your genius and the genius of Shakespeare to sort of have those layers constantly unfold. But I, I think what, uh, you know, Erica, one, one thing that a lot of our early career directors are being told in their MFA programs now is the way to be successful is to tie yourself to a playwright. And then when that playwright becomes successful, you will ride their coattails to success. And the problem is, is that the new play really? market. Yeah. And the problem is the new play market is so glutted with these directors that they, it isn't really a thing anymore. And if it ever was. And so we, we're constantly trying to say, hey, there's a wealth of opportunities in, in plays that aren't world premieres. I think, I mean, I just sort of instinctively cut Shakespeare because it was free and because I, there was a story I loved. But when As You Like It um, moved and people saw it, I was told by several producers that their advice to young directors is always to take a classic play and uh, adapt it and stage it with their friends. Because, um, I mean, I, I was surprised to hear that, but I think that, I think it's a, a great way to, um, I don't know if this sounds pedantic, but it's a great way to learn to direct. Like you're, you're talking about language that um, is inexhaustible. You can't stop finding um, motives and depth and emotions and reasons in the language. And then if you're working with a company of actors, you're just building, um, you know, rapport and trust and you're learning how to communicate and learning what works. And that um, it's kind of an inexhaustible well. Um, my personal experience with new plays has been that um, you can kind of reach the bottom of that well. My, my own work included, it's, um, there's a story that's being told and it's, um, it's very important to tell that story truly because it's the one time it gets to be told the, for the first time. You know, you're looking at some, a playwright's new work and you want to honor their intentions and you want to get it right. Um, and that feels like a tremendous responsibility. And I think that is one of the roles of a director. But when you're looking at a work that has been around for hundreds of years, it's going to survive you. It doesn't really matter what you do to it. So in a way, you're able to flex 
um, more of yourself uh, and, and kind of learn what you lean into more in a way that I, I personally never felt like I should have the space to do with someone's new play. Um, so you're holding up a list. What's on your list? Are these your dream collaborators? Yes, this is my list of dream collaborators. I would love, in no particular order, to work with these people. Alexandra Byrne, Samara Wiley, S. Devlin, Chloe Oblinsky, Sienna Miller, Andrew Lieberman, Raja Feather Kelly, Rafe Fines, Jane Cox, Camille Brown, Nicholas Pennick, and Helen McRory. Please. And what draws you to those people? Is there any one thread, or you just love them so much? Deep admiration for the work that they do. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great list. Erica, it's been so great to talk to you today. Thank you for being here. I know it's a, a rough time. I know you have a family that is doing distance learning, even as you try to do this. Um, thanks for your support of other directors and the theater. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really grateful. Thank you for being so kind. Um, I feel like as a director, I, I feel often that I work in isolation. and It's just really, really um, nice to have a conversation. <laughs> Great. Have a good day and stay safe. Okay. You too. Bye.